Are you aware that a 2022 Women in the Workplace study shows that women make up 48% of entry-level positions, but only 26% of C-suite positions? These numbers can be even more stark in male-dominated industries. You can only imagine how delighted I was to meet Sarah O'Hare of Freudenberg Group. It's a global solutions company that's developing innovative technologies across 40 different market segments. Sarah serves as the president of North America and the global head of human resources. This company is based in Weinheim, Germany, but it employs 51,000 people worldwide. And as the global head of HR, Sarah focuses on strategic benchmarking in order to ensure ample opportunities are in place for women. And these efforts have resulted in a 32% increase in women holding specialist and management positions. And she's going to share another mind-blowing stat in our conversation to come. Immersing herself in various cultures and countries across the globe and spearheading initiatives in her various career roles, Sarah remains passionate about cultivating a culture that lifts people up. I love that. Now, in this episode, Sarah and I discussed the power of presence and collaboration, the importance of showing up, contributing thoughtfully, and aligning with others. How diverse perspectives fuel innovation and problem solving. If you've been following me on LinkedIn, you know I am a champion of diverse perspectives. Customizing strategies promoting diversity in male-dominated companies based on the company culture, which was interesting. The importance of CEO support and individual actions in promoting inclusion, right? This includes holding executives accountable, setting measurable goals, and creating a culture that values diverse voices. And finally, leaving a legacy. Your time is limited. What do you want to impact in the time you have? Are you as excited as I am to jump in? Here we go. If you are new to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, hello and welcome. I'm Jody Flynn. I'm the CEO and founder of Women Taking the Lead, a leadership development company that works with organizations and boards to close the performance gap by attracting, developing, and successfully promoting more women into senior levels of leadership. I help organizations realize these benefits through coaching, consulting, leadership development programs, and keynotes. I am now the past president of the board for the Maine Women's Conference, and I have the privilege and joy to work with women leaders to hone the skills and the mindset that allow them to grow into and then thrive in senior leadership. My specialization is working with women who are still stabilizing after their last promotion and those who want to be ready for the next one. If we are not already connected on LinkedIn, please send me an invitation to connect. You can find me directly at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Jody Flynn, or you can search on the platform for Jody Flynn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so I should be at or near the top of the search results. Be sure to add a note to the invitation, letting me know you're a listener of the podcast. I would love to connect with you and get to know you better. Welcome to the Women Taking Lead podcast, Sarah. 
Oh, thank you so much, Jody. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be here talking to you today. I'm honored to talk to you. I'm really excited because you are doing some amazing things at Freudenberg. But before we go there, let's let's back up and, and give this conversation some context because I I think as women, we're always interested in you know, learning from leaders who've gone before us or who are at levels of leadership that we aspire to. And we're asking ourselves the questions of how'd she get there? How'd she, how'd she do it? What worked for her? So tell us a little bit about your leadership journey. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. You know, I, I have to say, well, where I've landed is in my dream job. So personally, um, having found myself in the seat as the global head of HR, it's where I probably hoped I would be. And when you talk about the leadership journey, it doesn't start for me knowing exactly where I'd wound up, would want to wind up, but it, it did start with knowing I wanted to make a difference and I did want to take on increasing um, levels of um, leadership and um, responsibility and the ability to make an impact. So I, I started in conspiracy consulting, uh, but wanted to move out into industry where I felt I could really stay put, live with an organization and see the results of my work. Um, Once I broadened out um, from a specialist role to more of a a generalist role, then then it was game on. Then I wanted to see, could I take this uh, to the top of the organization? So in terms of a leadership journey, I think it starts with an aspiration. And I, you know, found my way through a few different organizations. And for the last 25 years, I landed at Freudenberg. And being an organization with over 50,000 and finding myself here, um, I'm pretty grateful, I would say. And it was a lot of work, hard Mm -hmm. work, Um, but passion and ability and hard work. It's a, it's a pretty good combination, I think, um, for most people. And I think that's what I was able to capitalize on. And I'm curious, Sarah, what would you say were some of the skills or characteristics that you worked on developing that really made a difference for you so that you stood out and and performed well and and delivered some stellar work? You know, one thing I think that happens um, is that when you find yourself in a system, in a, in a business, in an organization as a system, sometimes you spend some time looking around at how others have become successful or what they do to garner the right projects, initiatives, exposure. And I think making sure you always show up in a room, at least for me, some of this comes naturally and other things you have to work on just a bit. Um, And I think that's something women probably um, understand or people that are listening might understand. So for me, showing up in a room, making sure I contribute, um, making sure I'm thoughtful, um, and then ultimately finding myself in positions where I can make really um, clean senior level executive presentations about my topics with clear headlines and takeaways um, and that you have a vision. Um, and I think worrying less about whether or not it's right or wrong and more about more about aligning with people and um, making a compelling story um, there's a lot of wasted energy in right or wrong. It's more about what what can we do together? Maybe what's a path we can take? And then you have to have the courage to pick one 
and move <laughs> forward. So if you talk about maybe what's helped be successful, it's maybe learning some of those lessons over time, uh, capitalizing on some of your natural strengths and to the extent that you can bring in additional things that you see helping others be successful, maybe to round out your professional skill set. I think that's okay. And I don't think that is um, doing disjustice uh, to your authentic style. I 100% agree, Sarah. I think we all have our own unique combinations of skills, abilities, talents, passions. Nobody's going to cover them all right? All of those things that are required to have a successful organization, you have to round out your abilities and find people who can fill those gaps to, because ultimately it's not about one person's success. It's about, well, one, on the one hand, having a successful team and, a, and then having successful teams that create the organization. So thank you for that. I think that, I think that is spot on. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that was a little bit of the journey and a little bit of how I sort of see some of those building blocks for um, a successful career. Of course, none of us has all the answers, but we hope that we can share a little bit about our own journey and then maybe it sparks some um, interest or resonates with someone else to experiment or, or try some of the things that we've we've tried. Yes. And I think, you know, my experience is, is if I'm listening to somebody share their story and I'm getting inspired by it or an aha, then that's it, right? That that's what you want to go on. And clearly you're, you have a thoughtfulness about you. Um, you're, you know, just what I'm intuiting from you is like your powers of observation, <laughs> Are, are pretty spot on. So I'm curious, what kind of trends are you seeing for women in these corporate environments and especially for women leaders? You know, actually, the trends, I think, are very favorable for women because I think the movement of diversity and inclusion and having this multiple perspectives weighing in on an innovation or a business problem is really working in our favor. So when you say, what are some of the trends? I would say in general, it's opening up. I think the next generation and the generation after are gonna reap some of the benefits. Uh, and I hope it continues like that with every successive generation. But I think the path is a little um, easier to navigate. I'm not saying easy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear. Yeah, just yeah. there. But you're right. Yes. But I yeah, I do think this focus on social responsibility and all of these elements that are so important to making organizations successful will actually help women. So I think the world's a little more open than it used to be. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. There seem to be more initiatives. I still hear some horror stories every now and again, where it's like, oh, is that still happening? Right? Does that still happen in organizations? But more often than not, I hear women sharing about opportunities. We hear more news stories about women, you know, achieving those senior leadership levels, you know, more women being appointed as the first woman, so to speak, um, to hold a certain position. So that gives me a lot of hope. 
and motivates me as well. And what advice would you give to companies that might be, you know, say it's in more of a male dominated field? Like, what advice would you give to those companies in terms of like, how to bring this about in their own organizations? Well, I think there's a lot of things they can do. And I think maybe the first thing I would say to a male dominated industry or company is, do you want to be even more successful? If you want to be even more successful, let's open up the talent pipeline. Let's bring in all of these different elements. And it goes well beyond, you know, women or gender. Um, mm-hmm. As, as um, you know, um, yeah. I really think the game changer is all about inclusion and focusing on those efforts. But for male dominated industries or companies who really do want to start to, you know, walk down this path, I think there's a couple of things that they can do and finding the right application. I think for your business is where it becomes very um, customized. You know, your culture, you know, your starting point, mm-hmm. um, you know, for Freudenberg, I would say uh, we had some things going in our favor. We had a CEO who truly cared about making a difference and looked around the boardroom, saw a lack of women and said, we need to do something. And so then it became, you know, the process step by step of determining what you can do. And I think what we did would be successful for many other companies. And some of that is starting with a baseline analysis. Now, that might turn people off. Oh, my gosh, she's already talking about numbers or something along Mm -hmm. those lines. But I do think you have to make a case and you have to know where you're starting from. And at some point, you have to start to measure And so for us, it was once we had the CEO support, it was designing the baseline analysis. How many nationalities? What was our age distribution? What was it for women? We looked at multiple different demographics and then we said, is this good enough? And the answer for us clearly was no. And if the answer is no, then you have to start to make the assessment. What can we do to make a difference for us? Jody, gender was the worst. I mean, the age was okay. The nationality was okay. So for us, in those very early days, we decided we'll get more distance with focusing on one element, gender. We'll get all our oars, you know, in the water, rowing in the same direction. Um, We're a pretty big company and we operate with multiple business groups. And so you have to align all those business groups around the world who are operating in 60 countries. So for us, there was some complexity with our own internal structure and our size, our geography, and and this particular um, topic. But once you bring people together, I mean, for us, it was a brainstorming, how do we make a difference? And and we chose, and this took months and months. So I'm I'm giving you the um, synthesized version, but we decided let's pick our top five after a series of meetings and workshops to come up with the five levers, as I would call them, or drivers, we decided we'll all do this together. So we aligned and we collaborated and we said, this is what we're going to do, you know, to make a difference. And we implemented those and that takes time and effort. So I would say, you know, the CEO support, the baseline analysis, finding the drivers, the things that you're going to focus on. Um, and we picked five out of 20 and we started. I think we just started moving. 
I think that that is key was just the awareness that I think there's a problem here. There's some people missing at this table and then taking a snapshot of, well, what does this look like exactly? Cause it's one thing to look around a boardroom, but you have an organization that has like 60,000 or 50, over 50,000 people in 60 different countries. So, so that's a lot and gathering that information. Now I want to get into more specifics, like, like treat this as a case study, okay. you know, and, and look into those five levers. But before we get there, I think what might tease everybody, because, you know, because it can sound very like, okay, they made some changes, they did an initiative, we've, we've seen this before. Give us some numbers of like, what was the result? So let's go to the the result. Like, so here's what happened after years and lots and lots of work. This is the result. And then we'll dive back into what, what did this actually look like at the ground level? So can you share with us some of the, some of the changes that have come about because of this initiative? Sure. I'll I'll tell you one that I think is really prominent. It's in it's, it was the beacon for us as we started the whole initiative. So the CEO and I have the responsibility of what the, what we call level one leaders, all the 50 direct reports to the board, uh, as you Remember, I said we have multiple businesses and, and corporate functions. So it was a collection, let's just say, of 50 people. And we can set the target there. And we were at 5% women back in about 2014 and 15, um, even rolling into 2016. And we said by the year 2025, so we gave ourselves about 10 years, we want to move the needle on those very top level positions from 5% to 20%. And we're on track and we're probably a little bit ahead of wow. schedule. So for us, um, that was the one goal that we could set. And we asked the rest of the organization, hey, you operate in different industries, in different countries. You might have a different um, set of needs. So please set your I'll call them sub goals or sub targets that would help us achieve this top level. We don't, hey, it's easy to, you know, remove a few people, which we wouldn't do. We could have hit that 20%, you know, within a year, but we're not a ruthless organization. Right. That would we have created like such upheaval. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to work. So, um, and it, that was never even a serious, um, topic, but the thought was it's easy to change the numbers at the top, or it can be if you're that simplified in your mission, but we really wanted long-term and long-term enduring change. And with that, you have to have a pipeline from the entry through the middle management, through your senior management that helps enact this change. We wanted to do it a little more organically if we could. Mm -hmm. So when you ask about what have we achieved, you know, quadrupling the number of women at this very, in this top 50 out of 50,000 was a critical component. And I can tell you being one of those women, the world feels very differently in those meetings now than when I was there 10 years ago. And I think that's um, a byproduct that I'll, you know, remember and talk about how differently it can feel to show up, even if you're a successful, strong, confident individual into a space 
that doesn't look like you and feel like you, even though you've been successful in that environment where it doesn't look like you feel like you, even if those colleagues are amazing in that environment. And I do, I have amazing male colleagues who I trust and confide in and brainstorm. But there is something different about walking into a balanced or somewhat more balanced environment. So that's a bit of a story around your question. For us, we've made great progress. We're not done yet. Um, So improving that quadrupling that in a few years, uh, we see as very healthy and exciting and a maybe even a continued beacon for our business groups who are trying to make differences in their pipeline uh, beneath that umbrella goal. I don't know about you, but I have discovered amazing music, books, TV shows, movies, restaurants, and podcasts for sure because a friend or colleague told me about it. Our network, made up of friends, family, colleagues, and acquaintances, are a vital source of information and access to resources for us. If you find the content and suggestions from this podcast valuable, could you do me a huge favor? Could you share it with a friend or colleague? Typically, the best way to share a podcast is to share a specific episode that made you think of the other person. You can share an episode right from your podcast app, or you can send the link to the webpage found in the episode description. My goal is to help millions of women to grow and feel calm and confident in their leadership. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping me to do this. And I thank you for helping the woman in your life be the confident leader she is meant to be by introducing her to this podcast. So thank you. So Sarah, tell us about those five levers. Like what what is making the difference? Because those are some significant results. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'm I'm (laughs) looking back at our, our documentation and a couple of the the levers were about attraction. And again, um, I would say some of it is about the recruiting effort. So we said ensure women are targeted and sourced during the recruiting effort. And when we talked to our recruiters, they would say, yeah, we're, we're getting diverse candidates in our pipeline. Yes, we're presenting them to management. And then my question was, well, okay, then why aren't the numbers changing? So our recruiting team actually started to track for the first time. Again, this was several years ago. And um, they actually had a a very big aha moment that their uh, pool wasn't as diverse. They weren't bringing in as many diverse candidates as they had thought. And they said it really needed to be purposeful. So I'm a big believer in setting some sort of goals And so they had a target. They didn't even tell their managers that they were hiring for about it. But their goal was to bring in a third of the um, interview slate as diverse candidates. And then they present they present those candidates. And you can find great people of all different backgrounds and diversity types. So we knew they were out there. We found them. And um, ensuring that women were targeted and sourced during the recruiting effort was number one. One. Um, and then uh, 
we made sure because we wanted to change the top of the um, organization as well, that when it came to hiring in sort of the first three layers of management from the very top, women had to be shortlisted. So whether that was an internal candidate or an external candidate, they had to work really hard to bring a talent and qualified individual to the to the conversation when it came to top positions. So that was a specific effort. And then, as I've already said this many times, setting targets and goals for us was a critical component. So I talked about the one at the very top, 20% by the year 2025. And every business group set other types of targets below our our sub-target. not one of the drivers, but one of the uh, the keys I would tell you about, once the business group set their targets or their goals, um, they, as part of another process where we talk about talent once a year with the board, um, of a five-day conference event, um, <laughs> they had to talk to us about those targets and goals and how they were doing. So there was some accountability on yeah. the back end, I would say. Then the fourth lever was... Um, We had to identify those women in the organization who could be developed towards top positions. So they might be further down the pipeline, but let's identify them. Let's put them specifically on our radar screen and let's make sure that they get appropriate um, care in terms of their career development experiences, projects, exposure, Uh, They have to succeed in the end, but at least we could give them the platform. At least we could find them. So it was about identification and development. And um, the other driver, we felt pretty strongly that if the organization was really an inclusive, um, accepting organization where everyone felt they were valued and respected and heard, that once we had the talent in the door, or the talent that was already there, that we could help retain the organizational um, diversity. And so creating some programs to start to talk about stereotype and bias and inclusion was sort of the next layer of the journey. So those were the starting five (laughs) that made a difference. That's really great, Sarah. And yes, tracking is not a lot of fun for some people, you know, having to have accountability for this isn't fun for a lot of people, but numbers don't lie. And when we're paying attention to the numbers and we're asking questions about the numbers and we're trying to uncover what is causing the numbers, it really tells a story and it helps us to make some decisions and it tells us where to put our attention and our resources. That was a great story you told about the recruiter where it's like, yeah, we, we're bringing in diverse candidates. We feel like we are. Anecdotally, we feel like we're bringing in a lot of diverse candidates. But when they looked at numbers, it was telling a different story, right? Sometimes our impressions are not factually accurate. Yeah, that's true. And that that made a huge difference. I mean, I'm, I'm still resonating about that story, you know, here many years later. You know, the other thing that a lot of organizations talk about is having support from the CEO. And that's absolutely true. Um, Is it 100% required? No, I think there are lots of things that organizations can do without it. But one key point I would make is that even if you have the support, 
if someone doesn't hold the organization, the executives who can make a difference accountable through this sort of maybe numbers um, or coming to these annual board meetings when we're talking about talent and making sure this is on the agenda, it has a high likelihood of failure. What do I base that on? I would tell you that in our organization, we have an amazing top 300 or top 400 person event every three years. And the first time I I went to this event, I remember the CEO at the time, he's not the CEO now, but he said, ladies and gentlemen, there are 315 of you here and only 15 are women. We need to do something about that. And that stuck in my mind. Um, I thought, wow, okay. Yeah, I mean, I knew I was one of 15, but to have the CEO ask all these executives, myself included, to make a difference was very powerful. The problem was three years later, that same CEO stood up again and said, ladies and gentlemen, there are 315 of you here and only 15 are women. And I and he said, I said that three years ago and we've made no progress. So, okay, it was interesting then to hear it a second time. And that CEO retired and a, and a new CEO came who, uh, who I know quite well and who I know is passionate about this topic and thinks it's a, a, a game changer for business and important to do. And we're getting closer to that next management meeting. And so by this time, if people are listening, three years plus three years plus three years, you're almost a decade Almost a decade will have passed. And so I started asking myself, this is how it happens. Mm. This is how it happens. Time goes by quickly. And if people ask for change, but with competing priorities and and no real accountability in the system, change doesn't happen. People focus where they're asked to focus or where they have personal interests. But in that context, in our environment, it didn't get um, just organic movement. And I would say, so there did have to be an effort. And as a, as a woman myself thinking, oh my gosh, I've just spent 10 years, nothing's changed. I only have another 15 left. I better get started. I have to make a difference. So taking the CEO's support and my knowledge now that things don't change unless you hold people accountable. And I mean that in a good way, not a bad way, but let's have a strategy. Let's put numbers in place. Let's come together each year. Let's get the whole HR team and executives and talk to the organization. What do we need to do? I mean, decades go by and I saw myself, no one appointed me the head of DNI at the time, <laughs> have that role. Um, and, but I think an individual can make a difference in the right system, in the right context. And it just takes someone to want it. Yeah, that's a great segue. But before we go there, I really just want to underscore what you said, because I think we've all been there where, you know, our leaders are saying we want X, Y, Z, here's where we want to go. But then at the mid-level or the ground level of the organization, what you hear people saying is like, yeah, I know we would like to go there, 
but that's not what I'm being held accountable to. That's not going to be on my performance review. That's not where I'm being, those are not the meeting that like nobody's having a meeting about it. There are no, there's no like initiative happening. So when we just keep talking about what we want without really putting energy and resources behind it, that, that change may never come about. So Beautiful, beautiful capture of that. Now you're going towards what can an individual do, right? Like an individual wants a more inclusive environment in their organization. What what can they do to get that ball rolling? That's a good question. I was thinking you may have stumped me because in my particular position, I was the global head of talent management and I felt you know, I'm one human, I can make a difference. I'm in a position to be able to embed these topics into these um, annual talent discussions. Um, I'm part of a, an executive HR leadership team. I can bring the topic forward. I can say, this is important. We need to do something about this. And we have the CEO support. So in my context, maybe it was Hey, nothing was easy about this, but maybe it was relatively easy because I had a longstanding relationship with the CEO on these topics. I knew how he would support us. I knew how he would start to hold all the other business groups accountable. So it was primed to, you know, move in the right direction, I would say. Um, as individuals, I think you can. Uh, depending on where you are in the organization, I think every individual can be a role model for inclusion and for how to include different voices into meetings. I mean, there there's small things that people can do to help create a culture uh, that can take advantage of all the voices showing up. Um, that's a very micro level activity, but it's one I think an individual can feel really good about and can help make a difference. Of course, the higher you are in the organization and the more you can, you know, um, I'd say exude inclusive leadership, um, run your meetings in a way where you get multiple perspectives, where you have uh, a clear ability to um, maybe quiet those voices that come um, more frequently and pull the voices that are a little bit in the shadows. I think those are small things that can make a difference. Um, a single individual can also identify great female talent and network with them and promote them and engage with them and make sure they're in the discussions, um, uh, the general discussions of an organization. 100% Sarah, we all, we all can make a difference even if it's just using our voice to bring up these topics. And for those of you who are leaders of teams, departments, and divisions, you can always start with a baseline analysis, right? That sexy word again, like what does diversity look like in your area? And what can you do? Like what levers can you identify that you can hit that could move the needle? in that direction. Sarah, this was incredible. Anything else you would add? No, I just think you made a, a, a great case. I mean, we didn't do that in 
Freudenberg, I mean, we sort of helped drive it, but taking that same philosophy of the baseline analysis or even self-reflecting that you want to create a more diverse team and asking your recruiter, bring me three great talents, but make sure one is diverse. There's, you know, there's the the second step that an individual manager could do uh, to bring some level of, of diversity into the fold. And always, I, I heard this expression um, recently on a podcast is like, you know, and as, you know, you achieve success, your own success, reach a hand back to help others. So uh, I think that's actually what I, at least I, I hope that when we retire, that's our greatest legacy, that you look back and see the people that you've helped along the way or given a platform to succeed um, for me personally, I couldn't imagine anything being um, more rewarding uh, than that. No, I can't either. Well, Sarah, you're incredible. What is the best way for those who are listening to reach out and connect with you? It would be great if they um, connected with me on LinkedIn. I can be found there, Sarah O'Hare, O apostrophe H-A-R-E, and I think that would be the best way. It's our most professional mode yeah. of connecting. Perfect. And I will have that link in the show notes that are a part of this episode. For those of you listening on your mobile device, that is in the podcast app that you're listening through. And if you're on the Women Taking the Lead webpage, that will be near the bottom of that page. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Jody, thank you for the platform. Uh, women taking the lead is a critical element to furthering the business environment and the next step for the next generation. So I appreciate the opportunity. What were your takeaways from my conversation with Sarah? What initiatives are underway in your organization to balance the number of women and men at every level of leadership? and do it in a sustainable way. Head over to LinkedIn to share your thoughts and takeaways on the post corresponding to this episode and spread the word by sharing this episode with a friend. And as always, I hope this episode was of value to you and here's to your success.